It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Why was Ian Cunningham talking to reporters at Hallis Hall today and not the man who's most in charge of making the decision in the ninth overall pick? There was a NFL rule put in um, not that long ago, within the last couple of years, that says that, uh, you know, assistant general managers should be made available to the media twice uh, per year uh, just to give them more experience and exposure to to doing these types of things. It's a, a vehicle for uh, the league to prepare its future general managers uh, to become general managers up the road, right, and to, to go through the experience and know what's awaiting them. The second part of your question is why was Ian Cunningham available instead of Ryan Poles? That I can't answer for you. That was an organizational decision that was made. I have never gone into a draft in all my years covering the league where the general manager has not spoken in advance of the draft. The last we heard from Ryan uh, publicly was at the owners' meetings in March. I don't know philosophically why they chose to take that path. I will also say that I don't want to say I have learned. I will say I am learning. Um, to pick my battles and understanding that that we are going to hear much more valuable insight and philosophy and perspective from Ryan Poles after each one of the, the nights of the draft, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, that will teach us all about how he felt about the board and the prospects and the decisions he made and the decisions he didn't make. And so I just have to wait right a, a few more days to get his insight on those types of things i'm not sure why that was the the selected path it is just something they chose to do this week and i think you are more than justified in scratching your head it's just odd it's just a it's a very bears like thing to do you kind of want to know number one what the mindset is if this is indeed the biggest off season that they've had in in a very long time 48 hours 72 hours away, yeah, I, I would like to touch base with the guy who's in charge. And secondly, you know, we'll get to this in a moment, but Aaron Rodgers leaving the division is the biggest day of the Bears offseason, okay? True, right? I, I, that's a reasonable assertion, in my opinion. And I've been saying it for a while that, that <sighs> look, like there are going to be other things that happen in this offseason, free agency, the draft, but the exit of Chicago's, if not their number one villain in Chicago sports, he's certainly in the team photo, uh, is a huge deal. And now we know it's been coming for, for weeks and months now. Uh, it's official. And, and I, I think that there is uh, a, an understanding that this is a landmark development for the Bears, the NFC North, and all things uh, Packers, Bears, the NFC North related, because now we have to see what the new landscape of the division looks like you know it's Jordan Love's team now in Green Bay that should be good news for the Bears I would much rather have it be Jordan Love's team than Aaron Rodgers's team and for all those people saying that the uh you know the Jets were fleeced in the trade that they made with the Packers well let's see if Aaron Rodgers discovers his four-time MVP form and leads a very talent stacked Jets team deep into the playoffs and perhaps to the Super Bowl then did they get fleeced or did they just add the piece that became the engine of their longest run in forever you know, so that that, that I always uh, laugh at at snap judgments when a trade is made on who, who got the better end of the deal. Um, and, and we'll see which direction that goes. OK, so let's go back to the podium and let's hear from uh, what you thought about Ian Cunningham and what he had to say. My sense is very little. I saw that he had 
one quote that I think stood out to me. It's good to hear from him, but pressure is a privilege. And I, I like that. It's off a T-shirt. You could show it to your high school athletes. It definitely is apt. And when you're under the pressure, it's a privilege to be able to know how to react to that. But big picture-wise, that's fine, all well and good. Did you learn anything as it pertains to the Bears' state of mind going into – <laughs> the draft or did he give you any indication about one thing or another that you felt like was newsworthy yeah i'll give you a couple of my takeaways i don't know that any of them will be deemed newsworthy and that doesn't surprise me because these uh, availabilities rarely are there's rarely anything that 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 comes as a surprise i know that i've probably written the notebook item the bears are open to trading up or trading down in the draft 13 times in 13 drafts that i've covered you know uh whatever it may be that's always a, a storyline but i would start here with what you said about pressure is a privilege I, you know ian has that sense of calm about him that his right hand man or or his i guess maybe it's his left hand man ryan poles also has they feel very comfortable in their preparation they feel very um confident in their processes and they understand like you know ian said it today it's you know thursday friday and saturday it's just a draft we understand that there are long-term stakes and and significance to all that happens in that draft but we're just going through a draft and we're approaching it the way we would any other year. It doesn't mean that there has to be more urgency to this one. It doesn't mean anything other than try to get the best possible draft class together with players that are long-term contributors that fill needs that, that, you know, move the needle that, that pushed this team closer to being a championship contender again. So I think that there is a, in, 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 they're embracing this right as they should be and they're ready to go for this weekend. And then we'll see what, what they're able to do with that. Now I will say this and I, and I'll get your point in a minute. He, uh, Ian took a handful of questions about Jalen Carter. That's a rarity in these pre-draft availabilities that we usually get an opportunity to, to fire specific questions about specific players. Sitting and listening to it is different than sitting back and reading it because sitting and listening to it, you're like, oh, wait a second. He's answering questions about Jalen Carter. And then you read it and you say, didn't really answer a thing. <laughs> you know, I think he was asked multiple times by Brad Biggs and Mark Potash, does Jalen Carter register as a hits principal guy, knowing that that's what Matt Eberflus wants in this building? And I think his, his final answer was, yeah, there's some parts of that in there. <laughs> which wasn't real convincing. I don't know if you listened to that and had the same I did. feeling. I did, but see, the the, same yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because, okay, full disclosure, if Ryan Poles was speaking today, I was going to be up there. Ian Cunningham um, was in his place, so I, I passed because I just didn't think it was going to be worth the time. That said, when he was talking about Jalen Carter, I regretted not being there because there's a tone – that you can pick up on and maybe something you could read into. You know, he, he talked about Jalen Carter and entertained those questions much more than I thought he would. I think had he been this, doing this more often, uh, he might have shut it down a little bit sooner. But what was your takeaway in terms of the tone? Because you can read some things into the way people answer questions or more importantly, how they don't. Well, I also think it was Jason Leisure of the Sun-Times that, that eventually asked, you know, with all the homework you've done, did you get to a point where you felt comfortable with Jalen Carter? And then there was a long kind of, uh, you know, dodgeball answer of saying, well, we first met with him at the Combine, and then we met with him again at the Pro Day, and we had him in our building, and ultimately we've made a decision that's best for the Chicago Bears. There was no confirmation or denial on what that decision is. My hunch given as long as I've done this and what I've read from the bears, just interpreting and, and playing that game over the last few months is I don't think that that is their top uh, priority right now. 
Could be wrong. It's lying season. It's silly season. Jalen Carter could slip out of the top five. He could slip to six, seven, eight, nine. And all of a sudden you have a decision to make and the Bears could end up making him the headliner of this draft class. But right now, my hunch is that that is not the preferred direction, just given some of the things that they've described and said over the last couple months. I've been wrong before. I could be wrong again. And I've got another uh, example in a minute here where I don't know if you're a Rounders fan, but I want to see if we may have got a tell from Ian Cunningham on another prospect that you'll want to talk about. It's been a while since I've seen Rounders, but I will uh, entertain that in a moment. So uh, my, my sense is, and everybody is, is going to have their take. You know, I, I've said this. I, I would take Jalen Carter off the board. I would just pretend like this was a draft uh, without the Georgia defensive tackle because I just don't think they're in that position to take the kind of risk that that implies and, and, and you know, represents. Now, I don't know that teams anymore just – Take guys off their draft board. Is that a dated concept, Dan? Do you think that teams like the Bears, if they have no chance of taking a guy, would just not consider him? Or is this something that you think that could go down to, well, you know what? Well, we'll wait and see. You don't have to make a decision until you have to make a decision. Let's wait and see how we feel if he's still there at nine. Typically, players come off the draft board if they have significant health problems on on their resume and that's just like okay we don't want to mess with that we'll just pull them off the board character wise it's got to be really extreme uh, and really egregious those are the examples i don't know from talking to people around the league that anything within jalen carter's um history here with the the, the traffic accident the, the the racing and the reckless driving in georgia uh or the pro day stuff registers as as so extreme that it would cause you to pull him off the board now it's all about value it's all about comparing him to the other options you have there and those discussions have been had here for weeks and months now to to determine okay scenario a scenario b scenario c how do we react to this i would imagine that jalen carter is still on their board i just get the sense that given what they have described about what they are trying to build here and some of the big picture questions that still circulate around the league about Jalen Carter, that it doesn't feel compatible to me right now. Again, talent often wins out over compatibility. When you're staring at the tape and you're saying, man, we feel like we need to get a big time difference maker at a major position of need on the front of our defense. I can see where uh, on draft night, you would, you would feel the urge to, um, just discard all the other things we talked about and say that the talent supersedes everything and this is the direction we're going and we can sell it and we can hope we can wrap our arms around this guy and create an environment that 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 keeps him between the uh, between the rails fair enough that's well put okay so what about this tell that you observed from ian cunningham <laughs> all right so there were a lot of questions asked today and even the ones that ian cunningham didn't want to answer he steered around them and he spoke for a long time. Even his opening statement was like three and a half minutes of thanking every single person in the building from, you know, their scouting staff to their, their video group to the, you know, the, the person that serves the fruit salad in the cafeteria to Larry Mayer, basically. So he did a lot of talking. And then there was one question where he didn't do a lot of talking. And he was asked about uh, whether it would ever be worthwhile to draft a running back in the top 10. And he said, yeah, I think it would be. And it was just a very quick answer. And I brought up rounders before. I can't remember whether it was 
uh, the tell that Teddy KGB was bluffing or whether it was the tell that he had the hand when he would twist the Oreos, right? And, and, and the Matt Damon character realized that. So my question is, was this a tell by Ian Cunningham where all of a sudden it was like, do the Bears have such grand interest in B. John Robinson that even the thought of talking about him out loud just subconsciously made him shut down and, and turn on the mute button on himself because it was the only question today that, that he didn't really give much extra thought to. Again, this is the silly season. This is I the love wild that. season. I, I love that. Out, that. However you want. I'm no. just saying, let's keep our eyes on that on Thursday night. And then if we come back to this and go, aha, we found the tell. Well, I think I'm, I'm going to remember this because I know you will. Because You've got another day on the radio that you can point exactly, this out on. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for giving me my 630 uh, segment idea. Perfect. Um, I, I look at that and say, you know, that that is very interesting. I would not. <laughs> I would not dismiss it. Uh, also, I, it, it, go, it brings me back to what we talked about coming in and, and made me, again, it may mean nothing, but why would you put somebody out there who isn't skilled at, or not skilled, but isn't experienced in talking to reporters if you might be, you know, giving an indication of what the team may be feeling, which is overstating it. But I, I think it's interesting because there's so much, there is so much intrigue surrounding the status of Bijan Robinson, who could go anywhere from I the seven to twenty-seven, and Correct. and Dan, uh, we talked to Pro Football Focus uh, exec editor analyst this morning, who had Bijan Robinson going in the second round, which I think is, is madness, <laughs> laughable, madness. laughable, laughable. So that's I, not happening. But it's a wide range of of spots. It, I, I, so nine would not be outrageous. And if he does go nine, I'm going to remember this exchange and remember that Ian Cunningham told us that he was, they were going to draft him Tuesday with a tell. And then we are going to request Ian Cunningham to speak the week of the draft every single year from this point forward. Right. And we're we're going to try to, we're going to try to try to test that tell a little bit more. I mean, look, like I I said it to Baldy when we had him on last week, that, that people that I've talked to in the league, talent evaluators that are in buildings or just do it for the media and, and are in this for a living Everyone is in agreement that the floor for Bijan Robinson is highly productive standout running back in the NFL. You know, I mean, like that's what you're getting. You have concerns about injury, sure, as you do with any running back that you that you take to bring into your program. You have concerns about positional value, sure, those are there. But no one questions who this guy is as a football player. And there's a belief that uh, you are getting a potential, you know, six-time All-Pro if if you take this guy. You know, a guy that can, that can consistently be a weapon. And so, um, look, I, I, I get all of the, the debate that is circulated around this conversation. I am very open-minded to the possibility uh, for at least two more days. So the pro football focus uh, uh, host or analyst was Steve Palazzolo. I just want to oh. be sure that I make that uh, clear. When we were talking to Steve, and he had a, a first-round mock draft that had a lot of very interesting – uh, not conventional, uh, I think, slots and, and choices. I mean, that's not a criticism. It's just it shows you how wide the range of opinions are. I think Tyrese Wilson was 20th. Um, there were a lot of people uh, higher and lower than on typical drafts. I think Will Levis was 18th, a guy that's shooting up a lot of people's mock drafts. And, of course, as I said, Bijan Robinson, I don't believe, was even in the first round. So let's keep an eye on that. Let's keep an eye on what they're doing with Jalen Carter. To me, Bijan Robinson and Jalen Carter are two of the more intriguing, compelling figures in the first round. 
What else did you think Ian Cunningham at least had to say or did address? Well, remind me in a couple minutes to circle back to what I think is the third most compelling storyline or, or one of the three top compelling storylines other than who the Bears pick in a minute. I, I You know, look, like I, I think Ian was um, probably most notable to me was his discussion of the offensive tackle position. And he, he mentioned, obviously, there's been four household names that we've all been talking about for months. Uh, we don't have to, to regurgitate them again here. We know who those options are uh, with a top 10 pick. He said, look, the Bears, the things that they're drawn to are size, athleticism, and a competitive spirit in that position. Those are kind of the, the traits that they're looking for. But then sort of hinted, David, that they, that they feel comfortable enough with going down uh, a tier or two in athleticism with the understanding that you could still get an offensive tackle on day two, potentially day three, and pair him with a guy who's been getting a lot of praise inside this building in Chris Morgan, right? You've heard Chris Morgan's name a lot this offseason, and it is a vote of confidence that they think that what they were able to find with Braxton Jones last year is repeatable in terms of getting a guy that can then come in and work with an offensive line coach and bring out the best in himself and be good enough to provide a solid offensive line uh, offensive tackle formation in front of Justin Fields. That was just something that, you know, you go back and listen to that that clip for me and you go back and read it and you say, okay, they, they certainly seem to be at least open-minded to the idea of addressing something else on night one of the draft and then waiting uh, to, 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 to day two to get that. Um, I will give you a handful of day two names uh, real quick. Let me make sure I pull that up so I can give them to you, right, that could be out there for them. Matthew Bergeron of Syracuse, uh, Dewan Jones, Ohio State. I've heard a lot of people really liking him. Maryland's Jalen Duncan, Oklahoma's Anton Harrison. We've talked about the other four for the top 10. Those are four on day two that we might be talking about on Friday morning if they go in a different direction on night one. Well, if it's not Bijan Robinson at number nine, if it's not, I suppose, Jalen Carter at number nine, and I'll learn to love that one, I suppose. But I think if it's not those two guys specifically, maybe Devon Witherspoon and maybe – um, Christian Gonzalez or Christian Kansi. It or... better be an offensive tackle. No, 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 no. Uh, I, no, not, don't put words in my mouth. I, if, <laughs> if, if it's not Robinson or Carter or Witherspoon, then it better be an offensive tackle, in my mind, at number nine, because, look, I am a longtime former member of the Coach em, <laughs> of the Coach em Up Club. But this idea – that you're going to bring an offensive tackle who might not be as talented as the guy you passed on, and you're going to coach him up to be a, a Pro Bowl player, to me is naive. It's naive is what it is because, I again, I'm a former longtime member of the Coach Him Up Club. I think talent prevails, and if you're drafting ninth, take advantage. If you have to, rely on Chris Morgan, fine. That's why he's hired to do that job. I don't know that you – make draft decisions based on the fact that you can have somebody who's going to coach them up. Don't you assume that's going to be the case anyway? I've got your lead for you. I know we obviously have to pre-write some stuff on draft night because of deadlines. You can write this question mark. This was naive. <laughs> the Bears belief in their offensive line coach to, to, to get the best out of a day oh, two. Oh, let, let me edit you. Let me edit your, your writing. <laughs> this, this was naive comma again <laughs> again <laughs> so been here before yeah i mean look like you always do, you do it look like we always talk about the the draft uh being sold as a draft and we all know that success in the nfl is draft and develop right and so you, you have to have a 
a vision and a formula for how you're going to do that. I'm just saying that, like, I think because the Bears have so many needs, and we've talked about defensive line, we've talked about defensive tackle, we've talked about finding a pass rush, we've talked about, you know, adding some some weapons for Justin, we've talked about adding, you know, cornerback help to the secondary. There are ways to justify drafting another player at number nine and then making yourself comfortable with, okay, here's some some day two names that we can we can rally around. We can get in that, that room on Friday and say, yes, we're going to get one of these guys instead, and we're cool with it because the player that we got in round one um, fills a need, is a major difference maker, and I've been saying this for a while now. I'm writing it for ChicagoTribune.com. No matter who they pick on Thursday night, they have a five-month honeymoon. You know, I mean, this is going to be so easy to sell. It's going to be a, a player that we've talked about for months. It's going to be a player who is obviously talented. It's going to be a player who, who, who instills a ton of hope and energy in the fan base inside the building here. And then you've just got to surf that wave until they have to start playing real games. And you can see whether that that player is who they he's built to be. But you know that whoever they take, it's going to be months of excitement in this I, in this fan base. Asterisk. I'm going to put an asterisk. I'm going to edit you with an asterisk there. I agree with that. 95% of what you said. I do think that, and this is my own thing, I have to get by and, and find out more information about if they if they if they draft Tyree Wilson and it's the Texas Tech rush end, and the last time we saw him on the field, he was being taken off of it, I think on a stretcher. So the next time he rushes the passer will be the first time he does so with a screw in his ankle. I don't know that I'm going to be that excited about getting somebody who's pre-injured, Dan. I think that he's going to be a good NFL player, perhaps. But again, when you're talking about risk-reward, I don't know that you want to draft somebody with that medical history. They're going to stand up and put him in front of the podium with the jersey, and they're going to ask him to extend his arms, and he's going to look like a, 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 you know, whatever has long arms. I was thinking of a dinosaur, but I didn't want to say T-Rex because those are the short arms that we're talking about. But you know what I mean? Like you can see Tyree Wilson standing up the day as being asked to hold out his wingspan, which I think is like 86 and a half inches. They're going to sell that. And they're going to say that we've never seen someone with this kind of freakish athleticism, this type of freakish length that fits so well into the hits principle has been coached by, you know, a a defensive coordinator who coached Von Miller and, and, and several other notable. I mean, the brochure is ready made. Made. It you, is. You can discard it. I tell you, the rest of the world is gonna is gonna I, gonna slurp it up. You know, again, like like they the can screen. do the wingspan. They can show the the, the plaudits, and they can, they can praise him. Then they're gonna take him to the lobby, take him through the metal detector, and it's gonna go beep 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 <laughs> beep beep because he's got a screw in his ankle. <laughs> I mean, didn't we learn the lesson of Kevin White? Is don't draft guys who are pre-injured. That's the lesson of Kevin White that was left behind. It's in a drawer somewhere in Hallisaw. It's the, it's the Ryan Pace premise. Do not draft guys who are pre-injured and require surgery. Not what that did, Tyree Wilson does, but I think that that's a problem, Dan. It's a problem. Was Kevin White's career derailed by injuries? Yes. Oh, okay. I forgot. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, look, like, I, so the other part of this, and, and I'd be curious to know your take on this. Like, I, I, did you, if you read Colleen Kane's feature on Ryan Poles in the Tribune over the weekend, it was a really good look, I think, into the human side of this. You asked earlier about pressure as a privilege. Well, Colleen's story, I thought the other day, kind of 
uh, illuminated some of the pressure that Ryan is willing to acknowledge. And, you know, look, he's talking to a sports psychologist weekly to just get his mind straight. He's going to X-Golf to blow off steam. Like, he's felt this offseason from the excitement standpoint, from the anxiety standpoint, from the exhilaration standpoint, from the urgency standpoint. He's felt all of it. And I thought it was really cool to kind of have him acknowledge that, to, to kind of discuss it a little bit and understand that that's kind of the landscape that he's walking into, as you mentioned at the start of the show, in a, in a span of what is essentially 46 hours that will will be a big part of defining what his uh, success was as the, uh, as the general manager of the Chicago Bears. I thought it was a great story. Colleen did a really nice job with it. And, and that also underscores why I was a little mildly surprised that he has been so open this offseason in talking about how the anxiety has been something to manage. He talked about it in the national media stories that he did and the access that he granted about how there was such a sense of relief when he made the trade down out of the num number one spot. And I thought he showed some vulnerability in talking to Colleen. So that's why I was a little surprised that he didn't uh, talk today and, and play it all the way through. But yeah. You know, that, that's just neither here nor there. But like one of the anecdotes she had in the story was him sitting in the suite at Lucas Oil Stadium at the Combine and like looking up every 10 seconds. And there's his picture on the NFL Network broadcast because it's like, oh, the Bears, they control the offseason. Oh, they've got the number one pick. They've got all this cap room and, and him being like, all right, we get it already. And I think it's just kind of a reminder that this is still a, a young general manager in his late 30s, still doing a lot of things for the first time, including Thursday night, making a first round pick for the first time. And yeah, so he's yeah, had to yeah, navigate yeah, this. And yeah, I think. There is, there's, there's been, there's, okay, okay, okay. But didn't uh, earmuffs, blinders, didn't Mr. Trubisky leave some of those behind? You can't be guided by that. You're no, an executive. No, no. You, know, you can't be I'm, affected by that. I'm not saying guided by it. Affected, for sure. I mean, everybody's affected by it. I just think it's, it's, it's uh, um, again, just a reminder that there, I'm not saying it's going to impact the way he does his work, but um, it's been real, you know, and it's, it's been acknowledged as real by him. And so I think it's going to be really cool to see how he handles this. Again, we're going to hear from Ryan Thursday night. We're going to hear from him Friday. We're going to hear from him at the end of the day, Saturday. And he's going to tell us all about the draft class he put together and why he chose to put it together. And it's going to be fascinating for us to kind of see how uh, they, they do their version of the, of the puzzle here. By then, it will be on the outcome and not on the process, which I think is interesting. By then, the focus Way more will be, interesting. Yeah, will be on the people that they pick. And, and I think, frankly, easier for him to to address. I, I think that the I think the process has gotten the best of him a little bit. And and I think the, the more that we have heard from him that, you know, acknowledge the, you know, the pressure that he felt and the anxiety, those are things that are, are real. I'm just been I'm just surprised that it has openly affected him as much as he has told us that it has in various interviews, whether whether it was Colleen Kane or Peter King or Albert Breer or whoever. Yeah, I mean, the reason I love that story by Colleen so much is it was it was just kind of that open door, you know, and, and like, oh, yeah, this is that, you know, this is a real thing. Like this is this man's livelihood. This is this man's profession. And we all do mock drafts or some of us don't. I've never have done one because they're dumb and they waste everyone's time. I did but for CBS. <laughs> I did one for CBS Sports uh, last night. I did. a. I don't like doing them either. But, you know, you, you try to help you did, like out. you did all 32 or you just oh, made God, the Bears no. pick. No, oh, no. Why, yeah. Why would I'm I happy care to who? I don't I'm, care who the Pittsburgh Steelers pick at 17. I'm happy to make the Bears pick for them. Yeah. But like trying to do all 32 and, and going through that exercise. And then, the, the, you know, some people do all seven rounds and all 300. And it's like, what are we doing here? Uh, that's neither here nor there. But it, it, for, for someone who is in the front office here with real life stakes at hand, um, there is there is something to it. And so we'll okay. see how he navigates this weekend.